Louisa had one unfailing source of guidance, the ladies of the Trumpington Tea Circle. It was these ladies, headed by Mrs. Belper, Louisa's special friend, who suggested that the best solution for Harriet might be an early marriage. Seeing the sense of this, the Mortons selected Edward Finch Dutton, a fellow of the professor's own college, St. Philip's. Though his subject was zoology, he was sensible and ambitious, and his mother, a fanshaw, had been accustomed to visit Staveley, the district's most beautiful and prestigious home. It was the long, serious face of this excellent young man that Harriet saw now as she looked into the water beneath the bridge, and as always, his image brought a stab of fear. Don't let me give in, God, she begged. Don't let me marry Edward just to get away from home. Show me some other way to live. A church clock struck four, and suddenly she smiled, the grave little face utterly transformed. Somehow, her dancing lessons had survived. She quickly made her way towards King's Parade. Ten minutes later, she entered the tall, shabby building in Fitzwilliam Street, which housed the Sonia Lavar Academy of Dance. Harriet hurried upstairs. There were only four pupils in the advanced class. Phyllis was the daughter of a shopkeeper, Mabel was the daughter of a railway clerk, and Lily's mother worked in the Blue Boar. Harriet, arriving at the beginning with a maid to help her change, had been an object of derision. But now they were all good friends. She's got someone with her, said Phyllis, tying her shoes. A foreigner. Russian, I think. Harriet changed hurriedly. In her white practice dress, her long brown hair coiled high under a bandeau, she was transformed. The girls entered, curtsied to Madame Lavar, and took their places at the bar. This is Monsieur Dubrov, Madame announced. He will watch the class. The accompanist began to play. The girls straightened, lifted their heads. Demi-plié? Grand-plié? The relentless repetitive work began, and Harriet, emptying her mind of everything except the need to place her feet perfectly, didn't even realise that while she worked she was for once completely happy. Beside the formidable figure of Madame stood Dubrov, his wild grey curls circling a central dome of pinkly shining scalp. You will walk alone now, ordered Madame after a while. The enchaînement we practised on Thursday, and led her old friend downstairs. Five minutes later, they were installed in her sitting room, stirring glasses of tea. Well, you are quite right, said Dubrov. It's the little brown one I want. Of course, her technique is still... I've told you, you cannot have her, interrupted Madame. Her father is the Merlin Professor of Classical Studies. Her aunt comes here as if there was a bad smell in the place. Harriet was not even allowed to take part in a charity performance for the orphans. No, you must forget my poor Harriet. Surely to travel is part of every young girl's education. They do not seem unduly concerned about Harriet's education. I must say, I myself would hesitate to let a daughter of mine travel up the Amazon in your disreputable corps de ballet. It's a mad idea. 
No, it isn't. Born of a wealthy landowning family, Dubrov, at the age of fifteen, visited his godmother in St. Petersburg and had the misfortune to see the sapphire curtains of the Mariinsky part on the premiere of Tchaikovsky's Sleeping Beauty. And that was that. For the last twenty years, Dubrov had served the art he adored. That this romantic little man should become obsessed with one of the truly legendary names on the map of the world was inevitable. A thousand miles up the river Amazon, the wealth of the rubber barons had brought forth a city of spacious squares and rococo mansions, of imposing fountains and mosaic pavements. And the crown of this city, which they called Manaus, was its opera house, the Teatro Amazonas, said to be the most opulent theatre in the world.